Just a small note. My conversation with musician Doug Vardy took place October 27, 2021. Bands, sports facilities, and restaurants were heading towards full capacity. Tours were booked and artists were back on the road. Then the virus brought us to our knees once again. Hi, this is Pat Blythe, and welcome to Love the Music. Today's date is Tuesday, February 8th, 2022. These are the Pandemic Interviews, Conversations in a Changing Time. Today I'm talking with musician Doug Vardy, singer, songwriter, producer, teacher. Doug is also from my hometown of London, Ontario, where he continues to reside today. Leaving home and moving to Toronto at the age of 17 for a career in music, he's been performing and recording ever since. I first met Doug, get a load of this, 50 years ago this year when he was a member of the blues rock band Sea Dog, formed in 1971 from the ashes of the Tote family. Doug was on organ and piano, sharing lead vocals with bassist Mark Corbin and guitarist Michael Argue. Jim Norris, the only original member of the Tote family, was on drums. Sea Dog eventually became a five-piece and were opening for April Wine, Crowbar, Lighthouse, A Foot in Cold Water, Brutus, Flood, and many others. The band released one album, but by 1975, Sea Dog was no more. Doug was the only original member remaining from beginning to end, and I never realized that. You were with them. You were like the whole, the whole five years. Front to back. Yeah, front to back. Doug went on to form the band Lowdown. During their 13 years together, the band released two full-length albums and six singles. Following the demise of Lowdown, Doug formed the Doug Vardy Band, He's also performed with the old Chicago band, Bush Doctors, and the Family Business Band, the latter with your daughter, Biz Vardy. True. That's right, Biz, yeah. That would be fun. It is great, yeah. Doug released his first solo album, Feel Free, in 2012. He has won four Jack Richardson Music Awards and two London Music Awards. He was also inducted into the Forest City London Music Hall of Fame in 2018. And that's a mouthful, and I was there for your induction. <laughs> It's a lot of words. The yeah, it is a lot of words. A multi-instrumentalist, a roster that includes guitar, piano, organ, keyboards, and harmonica, Doug continues to perform, taking his Rod Stewart tribute show on the road. He is also a certified yoga instructor and is part of the Blues in Schools program, teaching children the history and cultural significance of the blues. Did I leave anything out? A couple of things. <laughs> what? What did I leave out? Well, what I'm doing now uh, in a live setting is uh, I'm performing with my band Beatles in Blue. And we take Beatles songs and rearrange them as uh, in blues grooves and styles. And uh, I play one more instrument than you you mentioned in the list. I also play mandolin in the show. Um, Oh, wow. But uh, it's it's a it's a rock blues rock trio, and uh, we just have fun messing around with Beatles songs and turning them into blues tunes, doing them in styles you know other artists might do. Like uh, we do "Birthday" in a sort of a ZZ Top Lagrange kind of style, and things like that. We do "I uh, Saw Her Standing There," kind of like a Stevie Ray uh, shuffle, Texas shuffle thing, and. We try and mix it up as much as we can and just have fun with that. So, uh, you know, we're out there actively working these days. And the two guys in the band with me are uh, Corey Thompson on drums and Paul Leffelholtz on bass. And both of those guys worked for a long time for uh, Bill Durst. I know Bill. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he's a legend all on his own. You know, both of them. uh, Corey still does work with Bill. Um, We're all kind of sporadic these days as far as dates go. So there's... uh, there's time for Corey to do both things at the moment. But yeah, I'm, I'm out there doing that. I'm going to be recording um, six tunes with the band uh, next month with uh, Beatles in Blue and six Beatles tunes uh, rearranged. And uh, we're going to do some video stuff. Just get out there and work some more. Uh, I'm also, uh, I didn't think I was going to continue doing this, but I seem to be continuing uh, due to requests. I'm doing a Brian Adams tribute as well. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, and uh, actually, I find that a lot of fun. Um, I, I really, I don't know if it, if it's cool to say it or not, but I'm I'm a real Brian Adams fan. Oh, I love uh, Brian I, Adams. 
singing. I love his music. And uh, yeah, so I, I'm doing a show in um, Michigan at a theater in Port Huron uh, in um, February. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking more to do just theater and soft theater type dates with uh, or festival dates with either any of the things that I do. The, the Rod Stewart thing continues, but it's not as busy as it was due to everything these days. Yeah. Um, and same with the Brian Adams thing, which I, I thought I'd retire, but uh, I don't know, I keep getting calls. So, and I like doing it, so it's yeah. fun. And Beatles in Blue is really what I'm working at getting out there these days. And as far as original music goes, uh, I'm not really working very hard to get my original music out there though I am continuing to write it and uh, I've got a song placed in a, in a horror movie right now. <laughs> I think you just answered question number three, which is what's keeping oh. you busy these days, but that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. We'll skip that one entirely, but I, can tell you. I started these a year and a half ago. We've moved in. We are finished with 2020. We're into 2019 or 20, 2021. I'm looking at dates on here. What did you think you would be doing during the time that we were all locked down, that we couldn't really move anywhere? What had your plans been during the course of that time? Uh, in New Year's of uh, 2019, 2020, uh, I was in Mexico doing a series of Rod Stewart and Brian Adams dates down wow. there. And uh, I'd been traveling a lot for about five years. I'd been in Germany and um, across the U.S. and across Canada, in Mexico four times by then. And uh, I'd done a lot of different things. Um, actually, <laughs> it's all my fault, everybody. Uh, I decided in uh, the new year of 2020 that I was going to slow down, stay home, not travel so much, and uh, just write. So I got my wish. You did indeed. And, and the rest of the world had to suffer for it. Yeah. So I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> How has the pandemic and all its limitations uh, altered your tactics in any direction? Or how have you been keeping yourself relevant? Are you on social media a lot? Um, I, I'm a big Facebook user. You know, uh, mostly just chatting and telling jokes and things like that on Facebook is what I do. These days, I don't really take much interest in the music business. Uh, it's really a relief for me to be at an age where I can just do whatever the hell I want and I don't really have a schedule as far as, oh, I've got to, you know, work on the next album or I've got to get out, and, you know, round up some dates or, you know, post on social media what I'm doing next month or whatever. I don't have to do any of that stuff because I can just, you know, I'm, I'm really not in the business anymore. I'm just doing it because I love it. So it's all good. <laughs> that actually is a really good segue for my column that I just I just filed because it's all about the 65 plus group and and how we are really the healthiest generation, the baby boomers so far and our energy levels and stuff from the majority of us like, keep us going and but there are no, we have a, the freedom to do whatever we want to do pretty much with no yeah. schedules, nothing really tying us down. Yeah, we're Perfect. very lucky. <laughs> we're very lucky, actually. We're very fortunate. So how have you been coping personally with the whole pandemic uh, thing? Fantastic. Thanks very much for asking. <laughs> my, uh, my wife and I spend almost all our time together and we just, we've been together since 1974. Wow. Uh, yeah, and uh, we get along great. We have four kids and seven grandkids. Uh, three of our kids live in the London area. Uh, well, they live all in London, um, those three. And uh, our other daughter is out in BC in Kamloops. And uh, she has three kids with her husband out there in Kamloops. And the other four grandkids are here. And, you know, family keeps you busy. Um, I like to do the things that I like to do. I walk and exercise every day. I do yoga with my wife and uh, I get in my office studio here and uh, make some music just about every day. And I mean, I have dates and things coming up. Um, I'm doing uh, the music, uh, I'm running the music for a show in London 
But you probably remember when um, in uh, Victoria Park downtown, they would light all the lights at, all at once on the trees. Like, yes. Well, they light all the trees in the park, but there was a ceremony when they would turn the switch on mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, all the lights would come on at one time. So that, that go- continues to go on. And this year uh, I'm uh, the music director for that. So I have to, you know, get a few singers together and put the band together and that kind of thing and, uh, you know, help run the show as far as that goes. So that'll be happening um, uh, uh, November 26th. Okay. Here in- and you know things like that. This Brian Adams date I'm doing in the uh, in the theater in um, February in, in Michigan. There's some planning that has to you know go around it and things like that. So I'm, I guess some people would call it puttering, but you know I I find myself easily amused. I uh, I work on my cars a lot too. I change pickups and and wiring and stuff like that. Mess around with that when I'm not doing anything else. <laughs> Virtual collaborations. Now you've done a little bit, I think. Did you do something virtually with Jerry Mosby? Yes. How do you uh, feel about that virtual collaborations? I mean, I've been kind of doing that since 1990 with people. Um, I used uh, a songwriter named uh, Duncan Lindsay and uh, another writer, Jeff Dahl. And we, Duncan lived in Whitby and he would just send me digital audio tapes <laughs> tapes tapes i was gonna say 1990 he wasn't sending them yeah it would be tape. No, wow so he would just send me a tape and jeff and i would work on it here and uh we would put the melody and like he'd send a, a really nice finished completed instrumental track and uh, jeff and i would work away on the lyrics and melody and i'd record that here send it back to Duncan and uh, he would tweak whatever he wanted to tweak. And so I, I've been used to doing that kind of thing for a long time. These days it's great because you could, you know, really work with high fidelity now and do things like that at, at home. There's, there's another uh, really great young musician in London named uh, Jesse Nestor that I work with. And uh, I've sung a couple of things for him and he's put together some videos in that where, you know, we've actually, anybody involved in whatever he's recorded has shot their video in their home studio or office or whatever, and uh, then sent him the video and sent him the the audio tracks and he's put it all together at home. So, uh, yeah. And I, Jerry, I'm so excited to work with Jerry Mosby though, because Jerry and I have known each other since, Oh, about the same time I've known my wife, 1974, 75 was when we first met. So, yeah. It's great to be doing something creative with him because he's he's a super creative guy. He's a he's very super creative guy. I actually met Jerry when he was uh, the bassist in Rheingold. Yeah. Uh, and I moved to Toronto in 79. So and my husband was shooting Rheingold. He knew Jerry before I did. And oh. I met Jerry twice. The last time was 42 years ago. And we met again the second time when I interviewed him and Sil Simone. And he brought up your name and I was so surprised. Um, to hear your name mentioned, I went, oh, my God, you know Doug Vardy, too? Like, it's a small community. It really yeah. is. Well, I mean, to a lot of people in, in the larger part of the music industry, I've kind of faded into the woodwork, I think, just because I'm in a smaller town and, you know, I, I just do what I do here. But uh, it's nice that people, you know, remember that I exist when, when the name comes up. <laughs> <laughs> Unforgettable. Paid is an original composition from Vardy's album, Feel Free. A comment on reaping what you sow, it's always been a big favorite in his show. Paid will be featured as part of the soundtrack for the new Canadian horror movie, Taste of Blood, this spring on Netflix. was a lifeline And you used to rip away All the trust Trust of a lifetime Bit by bit by bit You've been poisoning this relationship Putting yourself above her 
you love to hate your lover But I know someday A little further up the road You're gonna get paid what you owe Now she, she stayed away And let you do what you said you had to She, she looked away When she knew just what you were up to Bit by bit, by little bit Been poisoning this relationship Putting yourself above her Performance is a key to the development of younger musicians, but it's also um, for the ongoing development of those who've been performing for a very long time, even the more experienced artists. Have you given any thought to what the live music scene will look like as we slowly come out of this pandemic? Um, I don't know what it'll be like as we come out of it. You know, the, the shows that I've done, uh, have mostly been outdoors. They're few and far between. Um, and they've been, well, they've either been live streamed where there was no audience or they were outdoors playing to a parking lot uh, of people who were sitting in their uh, deck chairs beside their cars. You know, it was great to be able to play, that's for sure. But it's a, it's a weird kind of a setting. And last year was even weirder when people didn't get out of their cars. (laughs) You'd play somewhere and people would actually just sit inside their cars and, you know, honk the horn or whatever when when they liked what you did. That was was too weird for me. Uh, At least when people are sitting outside, you know, you kind of have a feeling that they exist. But one of the things that I like to do when I perform is, is get into the crowd and play right to people and sing right to people, you know, be beside them as I do that. And, of course, you know, that can't be done right now. Oh. Uh, 
And I, I wonder if I'm going to feel comfortable doing that ever again, but I kind of hope I will. As we come out of it, I don't know. I think it's just going to be weird until we all feel like we're all safe enough that we can breathe on each other again. And that could be another year, two years. I don't know. You know, who can predict right now? Yeah, it's hard to tell. We'll get back to normal, but I, I don't know what it will have done to the live performance business by then. I really don't know. I think, you know, people love live performances, whether it's theater or concerts or yeah. bars or what. But being away from it for so long, I really, I can't predict what it's going to look like when it shows up again. Do you think, you know, if we're going to take another two or three years to come out of this, do you think we're going to start losing the, a lot of the old guard, I'll call them, are just going to sort of fade away? I'd say to a certain degree, you know, I think a lot of us, uh, like myself, who felt that, you know, you really had to keep working all the time, keep working, keep working. It was just lucky for me to make that decision around the time just, you know, a month or two before the pandemic hit. But I know lots of other guys who are always, you know, I mean, for 30 or 40 years, we've just been going, okay, you know, get out there, get dates, you know, get playing and make sure you're doing it. But once you realize that uh, people 65 plus, especially who have enough means that they don't have to work, yeah. uh, it, it, once you calm down, <laughs> it's kind of like, Oh, you know, being calmed down is quite all right. I, I like it, you know, and I've talked to a few guys who just like, eh, you know, I'll play again, but I don't know if I really want to travel long distances or stand on my head in order to do it. And I think there's value in that, not only for the, the older people like myself, but there's value in, in giving some more elbow room to younger artists who can get in there and want to make their mark and, you know, we're not crowding the, the dance floor for them. You know, we're That's a good point. Able to step aside and go, you know, you guys need to put the time and effort into it, especially in nowadays, uh, in the scene, the way things are nowadays. You know, live performance, I think, will be very important to young artists in order to build their, their own markets. You know, it's not like where a record company would send you out on a tour and, and underwrite it. Back in the day, it's you got to get out there and do it yourself and drive around the country in a van until somebody starts buying or whatever it is you're selling. Yeah. Do you think 2020 was a career killer for those who weren't so well established? Uh, I don't know. I mean, there's usually more than one reason for careers that to get killed, but I think it certainly uh, is a contributing factor. I. I think it, it separated the people who were half-hearted about it from the people that were deadly serious about it. And I think you really have to be, you know, intensely serious about getting it out there these days. Well, even back in the day, you know, you'd, you'd work and write some songs and do all that thing and go, well, hopefully some record company will sign us or some management firm will take us on. And you'd get a leg up at that point if you were lucky. But nowadays, you know, it's pretty much you got to build it from the ground up. There's yeah. there's not much in the way of uh, a hand coming down to, to help you up. No, there's not not so much anymore. Boy, the music took a music business took a huge U-turn in the mid 80s. But yeah, crazy shit, man. It was a really whack shift. Um, <laughs> one of the questions, it's a little bit of. Um, it, it's an odd question, but I've been getting some really interesting answers from it because we all joke about what if scenarios and how to be yeah. prepared and what we should be doing just in case. And then we keep putting things off. You know, we'll do it tomorrow. We'll do it tomorrow. But humans like to plan and prepare for the future when we're inside of, we like to plan. It doesn't matter how laid back we are. We still like to plan. There's the, all that little bit of the calendar, even if it's with just family stuff. Is there any possibility that we could have been remotely prepared for something like this, even just a little bit? Yeah, yeah. For for the pandemic uh, yeah. itself or for the pandemic hitting the music business? Both, really. Uh, well, I think if you just look at things that some people said, uh, people like Bill Gates, you know, uh, six years, seven years ago, you know, they, somebody asked him in an interview, said, you know, what do you think is probably the, the worst thing that's going to happen? He says, well, there's going to be a pandemic at some point. You know, I mean, it's just, it, that's just the way it is. 
nobody can tell when it's going to be right now, but when it does, if we're not prepared, it's going to be a real mess. You know? yeah. It's going to, you know, it's going to just knock things sideways. And the Obama administration had a pandemic response unit, which Donald Trump took apart. So there were some people that had plans. Um, some people, lots of people didn't take it seriously. I'm not sure I did. You know, you kind of go, oh, wouldn't that be terrible if that ever happened? But you, luckily, I was just in a sweet spot where I could retire if I wanted to, but uh, not really ready to retire. I'm just going to take it the way I feel like taking it now. <laughs> but yeah, I, I totally think that um, people could have been more prepared, though, you know, I certainly could have been. <laughs> so I'm not pointing fingers at anybody else. <laughs> Stock up on toilet paper anyway. That, oh, that. That, that was the funniest thing of all. Toilet paper and water, as if, you know, like there was a nuclear bomb headed our way. It was, I don't, I don't think any of us will ever forget. I'm waiting for somebody to come up with a toilet paper song because that is, that, that will mark this pandemic is the rush on toilet paper worldwide. I just, I don't get it. But anyway, <laughs> the past, the past really, I was, the 15 months, 18 months has given artists, has it given artists the chance to pause, reflect, and maybe take a new direction, step outside the box and do something different? I believe it has definitely given us all a, an opportunity to do that and to look at how we do things because doing them the old way really couldn't be done the same way. So those that wanted to continue interacting with their fans and their market, you know, have to discover ways of, of making a uh, connection. So yeah, it's definitely created new opportunities. You know. Do you think artists are more flexible or more adaptable to change more creative approaches? Maybe I'm not going to yeah. mention the P word again. <laughs> pivot. I think so. Oh, I just did. Yeah. Pivot yeah. seems to be like, Everywhere I look and reading articles that use the word pivot. Really, that's a big word. Yeah, I've, I've heard it a bunch lately, too. But, you know, I, I think it's, it's a valid word. Um, I don't know. I think uh, there are some that do and some that don't. And, you know, artists in general are a creative bunch. So they're, they're willing to uh, think on their feet and, and try and figure out what to do next that's going to work. I think some of us older guys and gals can feel a little stuck sometimes. I know a lot of people complained about, like you talked about the U-turn that the, or the, whatever it was, sharp left turn that the, yeah. the music industry took when recorded music as, as far as a sales thing just kind of died, you know, yeah. when CDs and everything else and record companies just went in the flusher. It was hard for all the people who grew up going, well, you know, I'm, someday I'm going to get a record deal and people are going to buy all my CDs and, you know, I'm going to follow this plan that I've had in my mind for the last 20 or 30 years. And it just wasn't the same. And it, it upset a lot of people, yeah. you know, more in, in, my, in our age group. Yeah, but, it did. Yeah, I mean, you, you adapt or die. <laughs> That's actually a really good um, example of adapting or dying because, yeah, it all of a sudden you had to change course and yeah. figure out how you were going to get your material out there and yeah. touch the audiences. Yeah, about 12 years ago, I, I, I made a CD of my own original material and uh, luckily sold the copies of it and it got some good reviews and that kind of thing. But, you know, that was about the last gasp. I think that the, for a lot of people was, you know, seeing a product like that out there. I mean, I immediately put the tracks on YouTube and then I signed up with Spotify and all that sort of thing. And then I realized if, if I hadn't sold the units, the CD units, I probably wouldn't have been able to get the money back to pay for what it costs to do that. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's a lot harder for artists to come up with plans for making money with what they do. You know, I still think live may be the best way to earn money, but I, I'm not I'm not certain about that. <laughs> I don't it's it's hard. There are some, and hats, I think, than you are selling uh, your music these days. You, know? you brought up a good point about Spotify because there's the live streaming that we're now seeing through Spotify and all and and Google Music and all the rest of them, and there's also the live streaming that the bands 
are now doing through theaters with or without audiences. So going with the with the bands first, what do you think about all the live streaming? It's it's an avenue that's really expanded a lot um, from because the grassroots were on Facebook until Facebook decided to put the kibosh on it. Yeah, yeah. And I did some Facebook live streams when the early in the pandemic. And I just did them right here in my office. And I really enjoyed them. But for some reason, I just once I'd done three or maybe four, I didn't want to do them anymore. I just felt like, well, I've done that. And it was kind of fun. And a lot of people watched. But I don't know. I mean, it wasn't like going to play a game. I guess that was it. You know, it didn't feel the same, but I think it's a great avenue for artists to reach out to audiences and to find new followers and uh, just do the things that they do. You know, I think it's important. You have to get out there somehow. If you can't get out there live, then you've got to show people what that you exist and that you're doing something, you know, and it's important. Do you think it's going to be a future revenue stream for artists? Ah, uh, man, I I don't know. Like I I I think there's an awful lot of artists that will live stream at no cost. Um, you know, bigger, uh, more well-known artists already can probably make money from live streams, but I don't know where the middle ground is. You know, where. Uh, a sort of regional favorite band or something can can you make money doing a live stream i i have no idea yeah but the break point is there you know well they've had i mean a lot of the theaters and the larger clubs have now been putting on these professional live streams and the alma combo is now doing it here in toronto so some of the questions that have been raised are who owns the rights yeah which can be a big issue. Does the club think they own the rights because they produced and put it on? Does the band, you know, they've got some say in that as well. It's their music. It's their performance. How much, how much into the few, the, it's the licensing thing, I guess. How many times can the club show it? Are they making money? Any? So there's been those issues that have been coming up as well. So. Yeah. And it, it's, it can be complicated and it can get complicated fast and it can be different for every artist or group of artists too. You know, it's a, it's a funny thing. It, it's not like live where you show up, you do what you do and then you're gone. You can't go back and see it tomorrow and it's the same thing. Nope. Whereas once it's recorded and once it's broadcast, it's so easy to capture those things anyway, even if you're not supposed to. I mean, I've done a couple of things for the uh, London, London Musicians Association where we did uh, a live show. Uh, it wasn't rebroadcast. It was only on once. And uh, I talked to somebody about it. I said, oh, you know, it's too bad that I didn't at least have a copy to watch at home or something because I thought we did a pretty good job. And my friend said, oh, if you do it again, let me know. I can take that stuff. I, I can, you know, I can record that. Yeah. So, it's not any big secret, you know, that, that you can just grab all that stuff if you want. And it, it cheapens all of the product. It cheapens Bruce Springsteen's product. It cheapens my product. It cheapens everybody in between, you know, because it's so available. Like Spotify, what's it cost to join Spotify? Like seven bucks a month or something? And you can have all the music that's on there. You can download it, put it on your phone and listen to it ad nauseum. Like when I hear of a new artist, uh, I just go to Spotify and listen to what they're doing. You know, it, it, and it's great in a way how super convenient it is, but the super convenience of it sometimes takes the specialness out of the music. Like I'm sure you remember way back in the day when you would buy an album and you might not even like it the first time you listen to it. But you put it on a few more times. I mean, you'd spent, what, 10 bucks or whatever on it. You were going to listen to it and hope that there was something on there that you like. And, you know, you might end up liking five of the tracks or something or all of it or whatever. But it it had a special. It was tactile. Aura. It was meaningful to yeah. you, right? When it was done. You went, oh, well, you know, that was this group of people making this thing. And I, I you know, I responded to it. Whereas so nowadays it's it's like TV channels or all the other 
amount of information that's available, there's a lot of it. And, you know, how people interact with that information now is, is just different from what it was. And that's just the way of the world. But it's a different thing, you know. It's kind of cheapened it a bit. I mean, the whole album thing was you looked for the album. You looked at the front cover. You looked at the back cover. You In double album, or you know, you'd open it up. You you could read the lyrics. You could read who produced <laughs> it, where it was recorded. The I mean, it was just, it was a whole experience. And yeah, even yeah. with CDs, you still got a little bit of that. You, you've got your, if you don't have a computer or a phone with you, which most people have anyway, but it's just, yeah, it's lost something. Yeah, but what do we do? You know, get back in our horse and buggy and drive it down the street. I mean, you can't really go back. You know, that's that's the thing. It's it's easy to say how things are different and yeah. how it how it's not as good, but that's just our viewpoint. You know, people growing up now will listen to us and go, "Well, that sounds like ridiculous. <laughs> it doesn't even make any sense." This is the only way to do it, and this is how I do it, and this is how I'm going to make my mark in the music business via these channels that are available to me. You know, it's just a different era of people looking at things in a different way. And and for me, I, I find it more amusing than anything else that it's, you know, I can look at it and just kind of sound like an old guy going, well, you know, William, when I was a kid, yeah. I walked <laughs> 10 a- miles in the snow <laughs> one way to school. Yeah, I know. Well, I remember, you know, doing demos for an album and we went into like a real recording studio and demoed, I think, the entire album at a cost of like $1,500 or $2,000 in, you know, $1970 before we went in and recorded the album over again, (laughs) doing the very same songs (laughs) at a cost of $10,000. Yeah. Yeah, prices have escalated, but vinyl's making a comeback. I mean, my youngest is 33 years old. He'll be 33, actually, tomorrow. And he's listening to all the stuff that we listen to, and he goes as far back as the 40s and 50s. And a lot of the young artists or younger artists now in their 30s and 40s are bringing vinyl back. So it is becoming popular again. Yeah, I don't know if it'll become a mass market thing, but... um, I do, you know, I think vinyl really has its place as an audio uh, format. It really sounds cool. And you can look at the album cover, just like all the things you said, you know, like all the kind, the way you get your information from an album is really neat. You know, I really like it a lot. And my kids like albums too. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how that carries along. You know, I'm no expert. I don't, I don't know how that's going to impact the music business. I just think people in the music business, in, in creative arts these days, will have to work even harder than than we did in the 70s and 80s, just because everybody's got a voice now. Everybody has kind of the same vote on you know, what goes on out yeah. there or the same opportunity to, to shout out and try and get listeners or, or fans. And... Uh, you got to just push on through, you know, and, and find the place where you're heard and, and grow that if you can. The next song by Doug Vardy is also another original. Aptly titled, We All Need to Be Heard, the song is about opening the doors of communication among all of us and really listening. According to Vardy, my daughter Biz suggested to London guitarist and producer Jesse Nestor, he should put this together as a surprise for me to celebrate my 50th year in the music business in 2021. Jesse also produced a multi-camera video for the song, which can be found on YouTube. There are a number of my favorite London musicians on the track, and they all got it done without my knowledge until I was needed for the video. Very sneaky, but very thoughtful. We all need to be heard. We all need, we all need. 
the 60s and the 70s, talk about going back, was hugely influenced by world events. Yeah. Fast forward 50 years, now where the pandemic has been a pretty major world event. Do you think that it will have a similar effect or has been having a similar effect on music being written and produced now and over the next few years? Um, Well, I think we've seen a a lot of effects of pandemic uh, songwriting or music making that that already. And I think that'll continue on for a while. Um, I don't think music kind of as a medium has the same um, world focus that it did back in in the 60s and 70s mostly because of the the population you know i mean us baby boomers we're a, we're a large uh well-heeled market that could spend a lot of money on stuff so you know that really helped to make the beatles and elvis and everybody else you know a big deal because people who sell stuff found ways to sell stuff to us who were people who had disposable income and time to spend and fanatical desire to follow things and that was the thing to do. Whereas now there's an awful lot of entertainment choices of, of all kinds. You know, I, I'd say video games are probably one of the bigger things that are that are a huge market thing that's kind of like the way music used to be, you know, in that, it you know, there's big hit video games and there's you know, the, there's a lot of money poured into how those things are put together and, you know, they're targeted at large markets. I never actually thought of that in video games. I focus on music, but you're right. Video games have been huge and the growth has been huge over the past year and a half. And there's a lot of people that, you know, make their money from either making music for video games or doing voiceovers in video games or writing games. I mean, one of my kids, my son is, uh, he got into, um, web development in in via uh, making uh, games and working for some big gaming companies and uh, it it's really a huge and well-funded industry now because of the amount of uh, money coming in you know because of the the it's kind of like the record industry in a way you know it's it's new it's exciting it's it's a big deal for younger people especially yeah, yeah. do you think the lockdowns and the isolation has actually encouraged more collaboration among artists who wouldn't typically perform or record with each other. Do you think artists have been reaching out to each other a little bit more? Certainly think that there's a possibility that that's happened. People with home studios are uh, busy these days. So I, 
I'm sure that there's more recording going on. I don't know about the cross-pollination. I'm sure there's some. Yeah. Cross-pollination. That's a good way to put it. I never thought of that. <laughs> well, Jerry was one that you actually collaborated with well, yeah, when the like, pandemic was on. And that's, wouldn't have, I, would that have normally happened? Well, I, you know, there's, that's a good question. Uh, one will never know the answer to, but uh, <laughs> I think just by virtue of the fact that we, we had some time to spend yeah. and we were chatting one day and I was asking him what he was doing and he said, oh, hey, you know, I've got some songs that I'd love to hear your voice on. Uh, you know, I'm going to send them to you and if you like them, let's just work on them a bit. Sounds great. <laughs> no, I'm just sitting around doing whatever I feel like, so uh, send them to me. And we came up with these five or six, I can't remember, really great songs uh, that I never would have written on my own like that in a million years. So it's been really fun and challenging to to write something with Jerry in this in this kind of mode, which is a really sort of a it's almost like a '60s pop kind of a mode. It's very big and poppy and cool. You know, it's it's neat. I, I would never have done that. <laughs> actually, I look forward to hearing those songs. I'll have to ask Jerry about that. Oh, they're great songs. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, they're all quite solid. Jerry is such a good songwriter. Uh, and he has such a great sense of, uh, well, everything, uh, melody, form of the song. Um, you know, his chord changes are, are really, they're simple, but they, they, they really work right, you know. And, and he has a, a great sense of balance in the way all things come together. And really, my biggest job uh, in working on these songs with him was writing additional lyrics. He would have a couple of lines or a title for the song or something that were very good. And then just, you know, some sort of la-la lines or whatever. And my job would be to fill in the la-las with words <laughs> and then sing the song. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you do a lot of, though, is you're a lyricist. Um, it turns out that I'm not bad at it, and I, I find it really challenging, but I like to do it. I really like to... I feel very satisfied when I've come up with a decent lyric. It's been a pretty level playing field during the pandemic. You know, touring, live performance was all cut off. So it was an equal, it was a level playing field right across the board. It didn't matter who you yeah. were. So I've been wondering with the lack of competition, I have to read this question because it's kind of a big one. With the lack of competition from more well-established artists, if this may have been a good time for local artists to take advantage of the lull and work uh, on more of a presence in their own communities, we have a, you know, we've always had this promotion over the last several years of shopping local, eating local. So I thought, you know, listening local would, would apply to that. Um, and as, you know, as devastating as the pandemic has been, has the silver lining been a golden opportunity for indie artists to develop more of a foothold or presence in their own communities and then grow from that. I mean, in the olden days, we used to have the yeah. college circuit, university circuits, the high schools, the blood. We don't have, we don't seem to have that anymore. So. No. And it was kind of dominated by who had a record out and, you know, blah, 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 that sort of thing. Like who was already signed to, yeah. you know, brothers or Columbia or whatever, they would be out, touring and either opening for some other bigger Warner Brothers act, or they'd be, you know, doing a smaller venue as a headliner themselves. And, you know, the local guys would kind of just be at the bottom of the barrel or opening for opening for the medium-sized uh, recording acts. You yeah. know. Nowadays, yeah, it, everything is helter-skelter. Um, I don't know if I can really give you a, a, a knowledgeable answer about that. Just an but, opinion. I think that the opportunity exists, definitely. And if people are going to go out, uh, they may go out and see a local act um, in a parking lot or whatever, uh, just as easily as, you know, or more easily than they would see a bigger name who isn't likely to be in your neighborhood mall parking lot or something, you know. So there's an opportunity there to be seen as local. Um, something that you just said in all of that made me think that in London, especially, uh, we have a really great 
opportunity here in that London, the city, uh, with the help of the artist community, has developed a music office that to make London more of a music city. And, um, you know, through that, they helped, to, they brought the Junos here for luckily the year before the pandemic. Yeah. It's a real organization of uh, people interested in working on what happens and uh, in the music community and growing the music community, helping people learn how to apply for funding for grants, how to work on lyrics, how to you know approach the country market, how to sell your songs, how to place them in movies and all that kind of thing. Um, there's been in London, th there's been quite a, I think, a unique opportunity for local artists to get more involved in the worldwide music business as a result of this, of the, well, not only the music office, because it, it took music people to make that appear in the first place. But now that it's there, it's, it's actually part of the city of London, you know, the municipal offices is the music office. That's great for London. It, it's a fantastic thing. And, you know, London has is the only city-centric uh, music awards and Hall of Fame in, in all of Canada. And, that you know, that's another feather in their cap, I think. You know, when, when you start recognizing local people and you start talking about what it is they do and what they've done, it, well, you're just raising awareness. And it, there's a lot of good people in lots of towns. But why not make the people of London aware of the good people that are here in London, you know, and, and help them grow their businesses. I remember years, years and years ago when I was back living in London in the 70s, and London was always considered a typical Canadian city. And a lot of um, companies tested their products in London. And if it worked out in London, then it would be distributed to the rest of Canada. The same seemed to be for the music. We had everybody play in London between Centennial Hall and Wonderland Gardens and the old Treasure Island Gardens. But I remember oh. seeing Emerson, Lake and Palmer performing with Truck at Wonderland Gardens before, Emer before ELP actually sort of broke through. There was a lot of bands that did that in oh. London. We were a good, solid, well-diversified testing ground for a lot of yep. this. A great stopping off point between Detroit and Toronto, too. You know, well, uh, it was perfect. Another gig for a lot of those those yeah. artists. Too. It was perfect. But, you know, when you say that, it reminds me of what was going on in London when I was living there in the seventies, and all the great entertainment that came through. And then that just sort of that testing ground thing popped into my mind. Uh, I think you're right. And like you say, London has been a, a music town for a long time. I mean, if you read Robbie Robertson's book. He talks about, um, you know, how they like to come and play in London at the this basement bar called the Brass Rail with Ronnie Hawkins and the band because London was a music town and people really enjoyed it when, when they were there and they knew a lot of cool music people in the area. And, you know, Garth Hudson, who's in the London Music Hall of Fame, uh, is also a Londoner too. You know, and uh, All those guys are from just around this area, you know, Stratford, Simcoe, London. Graham Lear, also in the Music Hall of Fame, London Yeah. I remember Fry Fogles and the great music that went through that club. And I do remember the Brass Rail, too. And the West oh, yeah. End. Yeah. The, the West old West End. End. And the um, old City Hall Restaurant and Tavern. Now, that was owned by Hawkins, I think. That's right. When um, when they demolished the block uh, further west on Dundas Street, Ronnie at that time owned a, a bar called Campbell's, mm -hmm. and uh, the city made a deal with them that he got the old city hall. I don't know, you know, how money was changed hands or anything, but he kind of moved from that one location, the Campbell's location, which was uh, torn down, and he moved to the old city hall and uh, operated there though i don't i don't know if he ever played there but it was his his place for a long time yeah yeah i used to go and see night winds there when they played they played there a fair bit i loved that band because i loved the way he did watcher of the skies by genesis uh prog rock band right yeah night yeah no i don't think i ever saw them very good they were excellent i, I played city hall a lot of times yeah. <laughs> 
There's a lot of noise around the world about the absence of live music. Now it is coming back, it's, and there are larger and larger concerts uh, being put on worldwide. But do you think the pandemic has increased the respect or recognition and the valuable contributions that artists have been making, specifically the music community is what I'm thinking? I, I really don't know what to say. Uh, I'd like to think so, but I, I don't really know if anybody appreciates anything that the music industry is doing any more than pre-pandemic. I, I, I don't see any real evidence of that. Okay, fair enough. What have you found to be the most difficult or challenging thing during the pandemic? Hmm. Oh, wow. I think I'm going to have to think about that because I've been having a pretty great time. Yeah. <laughs> most difficult and challenging. Uh, probably. Okay. I do know, uh, at least as far as music goes, is uh, even just getting together to rehearse with the guys in the band. Um, it's difficult when, you know, there are red flags up that say, you know, don't, don't get together with other people because the other guys in the band have family members and that that work in in larger more public situations so obviously there's the possibility of uh you know things spreading around yeah. and once you get to be 65 you don't want to you they tell you that you're in a higher risk or a higher risk age group and um i don't want to take big chances and you know get anybody in my family sick um I'm pretty resistant to things, but not everybody in my family is. Um, so I think that that's been one of the biggest challenges, that and just finding gigs. It's not like I, I mean, I'm not fabulously wealthy or anything, but I've got enough money to to keep going even if I'm not working. But I like to play, you know, I like to get out there. And that, that's been a real challenge to just to find venues or to look forward to when there will be venues to play. What's one takeaway lesson you've learned from all of this? Uh, Don't count on anything. (laughs) It's a good one. Uh, Can I give you one more takeaway lesson? Sure. Slowing down was really a great idea. Staying home was a great idea. (laughs) Yeah, I actually, I would agree with you on that. I'm not sure everybody feels that way about no. it, but it worked out for me. It was the hardest, I think, for touring musicians, for guys that are out on the road, like, all the time. That was, yeah. like, when it came to a screeching halt, it was like, God, I'm never home. What do I do now? But Yeah, I had to figure out what you were going to do for a lot of people. But really, like I said, that, that New Year's in 2020, uh, 1920, um, 2019, yes. uh, <laughs> not in 1920, <laughs> uh, that New Year's, I, I really felt like, oh, I just would like to take it easy at home and write. I mean, I've written 20, 25 songs on my own and recorded them here at home wow. since, since then. And uh, I've had a lot of fun doing them and some of them are pretty good. And I've worked with some other artists and done some other things too. And that's what I wanted to do. Just luckily, it coincided with the state of the world uh, for me. You know, I, I didn't want to travel as much. I'd kind of, I'm kind of over travel now. And there's a few things I'd still like to do, but not much. You know, I'm I like being home. <laughs> You're not leaving home and going on the road again, eh? Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, like long car trips, uh, hotel rooms, all that stuff. It's so many hours of the day spent to spend the whatever it is 90 minutes uh, of stage time doing the thing that you are out there to do there's an awful lot of your life that goes into getting that part that little part of it done every day and uh, I feel as if I put my time in and I don't really feel like doing it anymore (laughs) what's one piece of advice you would give to a young artist today don't give up uh, work work hard at what you do and believe in what it is you're doing, you know, or find a thing that you want to believe in and do that, you know, and, and, and work hard at it because I don't, I mean, in my experience, I feel like 
there's been times when I felt I really missed the train, you know, like I didn't become a big recording artist. I didn't become a well-known name. And I feel that I have the talent and the what it takes to do it, but I didn't care to put the time and effort into doing that to the detriment of everything else in my life. And if you want to get somewhere in this business and probably in most businesses, that has to be first and foremost in your mind 90% of the time, if not more, that you know you have to be willing to go on the road. You have to be willing to take the time to make the plans, to do the recording, to do the shows, to do the merchandising, whatever it is. You've got to make the time for all those things. And, and it's a serious business, as much fun as it is. Uh, I mean, you look at a guy like Brian Palmer, who has really worked hard and made a name with Helix, uh, and and done all that. He's he's put an awful lot of his life into that. And I I doubt that I put quite as much of my day every day of the week into doing what I do uh, as as somebody like Brian or anybody else in you know in that strata and up of the music industry. You know. But I'm happy with it now. I'm fine with it. Uh, but there was a time when I thought, well, why not me? You know, what am I? What have I done wrong? And yeah. uh, now I can go. Oh, well, I was spending more time with my family. I was being home. I was deciding not to go on the road because I wanted to not do that. So you know, for a new artist, you got to decide what's important and then do that. How are you moving forward in 2021 and 2022? Boy, I'll tell you, these years are starting to be a mouthful. 1921 sounded much more flowy than 2021 and 2022. Well, I know. Yeah, and, you know, back in the old uh, 20th century, you could just say 57 or 58 or 71, you know, <laughs> 90s. Yeah. Now you seem to have to say the entire yeah. thing. Um, anyway, uh I babbled on long enough that I forgot what your question was. Oh, how am I going forward? Yeah, how are you moving forward? In a zigzag pattern. Uh, I'm really, I'm just following my interests and doing the things that I like to do, uh, staying healthy and enjoying life and uh, enjoying my family. What have you learned from all this? Uh, you mean the past 52 years of my life? <laughs> <laughs> Two positives to come out of all this, one personally and one professionally. Okay. Well, professionally, I'd say if you, you know, if you want to make an impact, you really do have to work hard at it and uh, don't, don't take that lightly. You know, uh, you have to pursue what it is you're after in order to get there. Um, personally, I think you should enjoy what it is you do. And if you find yourself overworking and not enjoying it, then you should think about why you're even bothering to do it. You know, you should, you should enjoy life. Uh, life is very brief and you don't want to, you know, like they say, people on the deathbed don't usually say, oh, I should have worked more, you know. That's true. That's true. They usually regret things like spending time with their loved ones or, you know, uh, going to Spain to see the sunrise or something. They don't go, oh, I wish I'd put more hours in on my job. Enjoy life? Yes, ma'am. <laughs> if you could choose one artist or band you'd love to perform with, preferably alive, yes. who would that be? I'd love to perform with John Hyatt. I really am a huge John Hyatt fan. Uh, He's a great singer and songwriter, uh, and he did one of my most favorite shows that I've, I've ever seen. And really, it was him in uh, with uh, three other musicians, you know, a four-piece band, essentially, just standing there playing all his great songs. And I was in a medium-sized room, uh, standing in front of the stage, just watching him play and listening to it. It was one of the best experiences of my life. What brings you joy now? Uh, playing music uh, brings me a lot of joy. Uh, being with my wife brings me an awful lot of joy. Being outdoors 
I love, I love uh, like a walk every morning and I walk through the day sometimes and I'm right beside a forest. Uh, it's just about a half a block down the street. I can go down a set of stairs and be in a forest in a ravine and it's quite a large area and just, you know, being in nature is, is a wonderful thing. And that gives me an awful lot of joy seeing the sky. I love, I love to see clouds and things like that. <laughs> I'm kind of a simple guy. <laughs> Doug, thank you so much. Well, you're very welcome. And thanks so much for thinking of me. This interview was recorded at Soundhouse Studio located on Eastern Avenue in Toronto, Canada. Owned by producer-engineer John Jameson, John is also my co-editor and mixer for all the interviews we record at Soundhouse. He makes us all sound good, and me sound like I know what I'm doing. With respect for the times we live in right now, all appropriate safety measures are taken during any in-person interview recorded at Soundhouse. Many thanks go to Eddie and Quincy Bullen and Paul DeLong for writing and performing the fantastic theme music for the show. And to all of you who have tuned in to listen to what these artists have to say, thank you for taking the time and inviting us into your cars, offices, and homes. I am Pat Blythe. You're listening to Love the Music. Have a great day and a wonderful evening. Mm-hmm.